Anybody want a job? <laughs> there are millions of jobs available, not enough people to take them. Uh, why would anybody want a job right now when they're so incentivized to not work? We got a really bad situation on our hands, all right? A crisis in our stores and in our ports. Have you seen these shelves? If you haven't yet, you will soon. Empty shelves, basic goods, and also, you know, specialty goods, toys, Christmas gifts. This is going to be one bear season. We haven't seen anything like this possibly since World War II. The supply chain issue, it's a really bad thing. We could use some leadership right now. Leadership would be really great. We're not going to get it. All right. Joe Biden is no leader. We know it. I think even he knows it. The fake news knows it, even though they cover up for him. But at least Joe Biden has good people around him, right? Isn't that what they say? Okay, he's not qualified, but there are good people around him. No, no, there are terrible people around him, like the Secretary of Transportation, who should ha be playing a key role in fixing this crisis. A couple things about Mayor Pete here. Secretary of Transportation has no background in transportation uh, and has taken the last two months off. I'll get to that in a moment. First off, I knew that Pete was a phony. Back when he ran for president, I guess starting in 2019, he went to all those debates. He talked about his military service all the time, a total exaggeration. He never even went to boot camp. He managed to get himself to Afghanistan. John McCain, when he ran for president, barely talked about his five years in Vietnam. Buttigieg, next picture please, served about five months in Afghanistan. Again, never went to boot camp. He worked a desk job, a bit of a scam, quite frankly, this little corner of the Naval Reserve. Meanwhile, John McCain, we know what he went through. Buttigieg was bragging. John McCain was humble. So that's when I first noticed him, all right? Uh, so in August, he had a child, actually two twins, with his husband, Jason. And that's very, very nice, all right? We, that's, that's, that's just wonderful. Guess what? He's been on paternity leave for two months. Two months. The Secretary of Transportation. We learned this from Politico. Let's uh, take a look here. Quote number one in the story says, the secretary has actually been on paid leave since mid-August to spend time with his husband, Jason, and their two newborn babies. Also this, Buttigieg will continue to take some time over the coming weeks to support his husband and take care of his new children. Now, do you think that's nice? Do you think that's, uh, I think it's terrible. I do, I do. That's not what uh, paternity leave is all about, by the way. It's not. Uh, but he's taking it, and he's faking it when he showed up at the White House the other day to uh, fix our supply chain issue. How bad are they going to get for Americans? And I'm talking specifically, you know, leading here into the December holidays where people are relying on getting goods, on getting presents. Well, I think there's always been two kinds of Christmas shoppers. There's the ones who have all their list completed by Halloween, and then there's people like me who show up at the mall on Christmas Eve. If you're in that latter bucket, uh, obviously there's going to be more challenges. <laughs> Not funny. Not funny at all. We have a major supply chain issue. He's the Secretary of Transportation. Once he's done with that cutesy joke, now he gets to the substance. And guess what? It's our fault. It's our fault what's happening here. Should Americans be prepared? Uh, should they know they're not going to get their packages, they're not going to get their goods in time for Christmas if they're not doing it right now? 
Well, let me be clear. There is more throughput than there has ever been. In other words, uh, we are processing right now as a country record levels of containers and other goods coming into our ports already. The issue is that this, there's even more demand than uh, the supply chain can support. Remember, we are relying on supply chains that were built generations ago. It's one of the reasons why this entire year we have been talking about and working on infrastructure and are eager to see Congress act to get this infrastructure deal through. Okay, remember again, he's been off for two months. He just shows up for the big meeting at the White House. Let's see here. Uh, it's our fault, the demand, huh? It's our fault. And then he plugs that ridiculous infrastructure bill they've been pushing. Uh, what else about that? Uh, the infrastructure, by the way, was working okay. The supply chain was working okay until the Biden administration. Look, this guy is unbelievably phony and full of himself and pretends that he knows a lot but he doesn't care about the details of government. You know who knows that? His former constituents. When he was mayor of South Bend, Indiana, there was a controversial uh, matter with the police department. One of the body cameras turned on, a police shooting. He couldn't take the heat and he didn't know what he was doing. Right, so the- The policy was a- the policy was approved by the Board of Safety. Who wrote it? I do not know who drafted it, but I believe that it was drawn from model policies from around the country. And again... So it was copy and paste, right? <laughs> Whoever that was, I love it. Copy and paste, right? Again, he gives off this air of an erudite young man, but... Uh, He's in it for the wrong reasons, like so many of these people in Washington, D.C. All right, so back to his husband and the kids. All right, again, we love families, and uh, that's great. Twins, very, very beautiful. But two months off for both of these guys, by the way. I have a child, you know. She was born uh, on February 3rd, 2020. I'm right next to my wife there. She was not happy about being photographed, so... Uh, that was February 3rd of 2020. Let me show you a picture of me, actually some video from February 4th of 2020. Yes, I came back to work the next day. Quite frankly, uh, that's what Buttigieg should have done, huh? What do you think? All right, got to show you this. So many people in the Biden administration and in general are totally checked out. You've seen folks, young, old, on the phones, just uh, posing for silly pictures, watching movies all the time. I mean, you don't have to do anything to get much recognition, right? Take a picture, get all kinds of likes and comments. And I feel like that's the situation with the uh, with the cabinet, with the Biden administration. I kept hearing from Joe, oh, this cabinet, it looks like America and all that kind of just phony virtue signaling. We were even getting that virtue signaling from the military. I wanna understand white rage and I'm white and I wanna understand it. Just say the stuff that the left wants to hear, uh, signal your virtue and you can be in. Don't worry about the work, the work is hard. Nobody wants to do the work. Hmm? Afghanistan, that horrible defeat. You know what would have helped a lot? Hard work, hard work, planning. They did not plan the non-combatant evacuation operation and they foolishly, mindlessly closed Bagram Airfield. I wanna show you something else. General Eisenhower, he later became president. 
He was possibly the most visible man in America, but back then he wasn't actually in the public all that often. You know what he was? He was in rooms with other officers working all the time. This guy was a workaholic. He was an administrative, he just paid attention, extreme attention to detail, and he was a master of logistics. How do you think we pulled off D-Day? How do you think America pulled off D-Day? By photo ops? <laughs> no way. It was definitely a different generation. Some used to say it was the greatest generation. I used to not like that, but now, I don't know, because right now I feel like we're the lost generation. Take a look at our military right now. General Joe Clyborne, uh, there she is. She's in the National Guard up in Minnesota, and she proudly went on active duty the other day, but not before complaining that she had to uh, take off her nail polish. Complaining on social media, complaining to the public. Take a look. Why the Army thinks a French manicure is an obnoxious color compared to the civilian world, which views it as an understated yet professional look, is beyond me. Uh, but I have to be in uniform tomorrow, so here we are. It looked nice while it lasted. General Clyburn is muttering and grumbling that she can't wear her preferred nail polish on active duty. And then she engages with a bunch of other people. Uh, she starts having this like uh, ongoing policy debate and, you know, yeah, you should change that, General. And she's like, yeah, I should. I got to about nail polish, about nail polish. Some conservative commentators have been pointing out with this kind of attitude, we are going to lose our next major war and someday we will have one. Not only because of little things like this, but big things that are taking up a lot of time. Look at what the Pentagon's priorities are right now. All kinds of silliness, all right, from climate change to LGBTQ uh, recruitment, trans rights. There are only so many hours in the day, and this stuff that comes under the umbrella of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion training, we have saddled the military with this stuff, and uh, it's a real shame. It really is. Uh, by the way, when I was in the military, we grumbled about policy all the time, okay? We did. But we did it, you know, amongst ourselves. We didn't have social media back then, but we weren't writing letters to the editor and all that stuff. We weren't. You handled these things internally. Very, very strange. So where are we overall? We are without leadership, and that is a very, very bad thing. Very, very troubling. We can't learn anything from Joe Biden, but we can still learn some things, and maybe we will again from Donald Trump. It looks like he is running. But... Um, what we need right now, I think, is some drive, some momentum. Do you remember this? Donald Trump gave a speech to the Boy Scouts in Virginia uh, during his first year in office. He was ripped apart for this. Oh, how could he say such a thing to the Boy Scouts? Actually, the message made a lot of sense. It was a hell of a lot more useful than hearing something about, forgive me, Bo Biden. Take a look. If you love what you do and dedicate yourself to your work, then you will gain momentum. And look, you have to. You need the word momentum. You will gain that momentum. And each success will create another success. The word momentum. I'll tell you a story that's very interesting for me. When I was young, there was a man named William Levitt. He told this whole story. It lasts about 10 minutes. So William Levitt, who built Levittown, sold the company, did very, very well, made a lot of money, then got 
the company again. He got bored, and then he took a dive somehow. He lost everything. And uh, Donald Trump follows up with him at a party. Listen to this. I saw him at a cocktail party. So I went over and talked to him. And I said, Mr. Levitt, I'm Donald Trump. He said, I know. He said, Mr. Levitt, how are you doing? He goes, not well, not well at all. And I knew that. But he said, not well at all. And he explained what was happening and how bad it's been and how hard it's been. And I said, what exactly happened? Why did this happen to you? You're one of the greats ever in our industry. Why did this happen to you? And he said, Donald, I lost my momentum. I lost my momentum. A word you never hear when you're talking about success, when some of these guys that never made 10 cents, they're on television giving you things about how you're gonna be successful. And the only thing they ever did was a book and a tape. But I tell you, I'll tell you, it was very sad and I never forgot that moment and I thought about it. And it's exactly true. He lost his momentum, meaning he took this period of time off long, years, and then when he got back, he didn't have that same momentum. In life, I always tell this to people, you have to know whether or not you continue to have the momentum. I love it. Fascinating, right? You think Joe Biden knows anything about momentum? Think he could ever in a million years think like that, tell that kind of story? No, because he doesn't know anything like that. You know, that story is another reason why Donald Trump did not fit in the swamp. Uh, he, knows, he knows about momentum. He knows about building things. Joe, he knows how to put together a cabinet that looks like America, looks like America. Who cares? We're all Americans. I'll be right back. Carson, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast. Tired of boring traditional news updates? How about one with a conservative point of view and it's actually funny? You can subscribe for free on the Apple Podcast app and it downloads directly to your smartphone so you can listen while driving, uh, to work, riding a bike, at the gym, or even while lobster fishing off the East Coast. Subscribe today with the Apple Podcast app or go to NewsmaxTV.com slash podcasts for other platforms. Something's coming. All I can say is, is that the, the fake, fake news just doesn't get it, do they? They don't. They don't. You know what they love? Reporting on far-right extremism. Oh, boy. They want to stir it up. They want to promote it. They want it to be everywhere. It's not. By the way, that's a good thing. What they like to ignore is extremism from the far left, especially if it's uh, Islamic extremism. They just ignored, again, far right, far right, far right, both here and around the globe. Well, here in Germany, officials are warning of a rise in far right extremism. FBI Director Christopher Wray warning that violent far right extremism is the top domestic threat to the U.S. Far right extremism in Britain is a growing problem. Members of the German government sound the alarm about far-right extremism. The fastest growing is now, according to our intelligence services, the threat of far-right terrorism. Far-right extremism is on the rise, not just in cities, but in the countryside. 
Talk about having an agenda, a narrative. I mean, they're pushing it and pushing it. Why? I don't know why. I really am stumped why they would pretend that it's so bad from the far right. And I hate far right extremism, by the way. I also hate far left extremism. I hate Islamic extremism. And that is a real thing, not a pretend thing, but they pretend it's not there. You heard about the attack in Norway. Guy went on a rampage with a bow and arrow, killed five people. The suspect, the guy in custody, is 37 years old. And uh, let's see here, a Muslim convert. And they say he was radicalized when he converted. That's a, that's a big deal. I think it's at least relevant, don't you? So the headlines started coming in. When we knew this, when we knew this from around the world, all these headlines, you know what they leave out? The part about him converting to the Muslim faith, radicalizing. They all left it out. All of these news organizations left that part out. That's really odd. That's really strange, and I don't quite understand it. They also went out of their way to portray Donald Trump, of course, as a monster. Maybe they're still trying to somehow, I don't know, atone for letting him get elected in 2016. Do you remember their freak out when he said this? Donald J. Trump is calling for a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States until our country's representatives can figure out what the hell is going on. We have no choice. We have no choice. So, again, they totally misrepresented what he was talking about, and they left out what he said right before that where he was justifying his program that, by the way, was held up by the Supreme Court once he was in office. But again, they never tell you this part of the speech just prior to what he just said was this. According to Pew Research, among others, there is a great hatred toward Americans by large segments of the Muslim population. And 51% of those polled agreed that Muslims in America should have the choice of being governed according to Sharia. You know what Sharia is? 51%. Sharia law, it is a hardline form of uh, the Muslim faith and uh, talks about stoning women and uh, all that kind of stuff or uh, offenses like adultery and maybe even driving a car. Uh, Sharia has no place in American society. It doesn't. And the poll that he cited was a real one. Uh, 51% Muslims in America should have the choice of being governed according to Sharia law. Well, it doesn't work that way. When you take the oath of citizenship, you don't support Sharia law, you support the Constitution, our way of life. And by the way, I love new citizens from all over the world. When they become citizens, they have to swear to potentially take up arms for the country. They will actually have to fight. I think this is, applies to women as well as men. That's, that's something. And uh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that very much. All right. More now on Joe Biden. Do you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black? Joe Biden. Joe Biden. 
So many oddball things about Joe Biden that the mainstream media, the fake news, just ignore. Uh, during the campaign, he was always saying, I was the poorest man in all of Washington, D.C. He repeated that today, actually. Look, I, I, I don't think you shouldn't be able to make a million or a billion dollars. I'm a capitalist, but guess what? I'm also listed for 36 years as the poorest man in the Congress. <laughs> but I make big money now. I'm a president. The bragging is very distasteful, in my opinion. But uh, yes, that was a thing that Joe, uh, compared to all the other senators and all the other House members, he was, relatively speaking, poor. They have all kinds of ways to shield wealth. Somehow, as the poorest senator, he bought the DuPont Mansion in Delaware. All right? He bought this all the way back in the 1970s. I mean, the DuPonts. The DuPonts basically owned all of Delaware, and he buys their house somehow. On paper, he may have been the poorest senator. I'd like to look at the books, though, of his two brothers and, boy, his son Hunter. All right? According to that laptop, these guys, these guys were the money makers. Something else odd happened today with Joe Biden, pretty much overlooked. But what is up with him boasting about talking to the president of China? I've had these, I've had hours and hours and hours of meetings and personal conversations with Xi Jinping. I spent more time with him, I believe, than any other world leader has when I was vice president and now on the phone. I've, every time he calls or we talk on this, and now it's a conversation between an hour and a half and two and a half hours. Not a joke. My word. His word, huh? When has he ever steered us wrong? 90 minutes. Joe, hang up the phone. When you talk, uh, you're not winning. This is bad stuff. And what are they talking about? Are they talking about America or something else? Hunter Biden, that famous trip uh, made with his dad all the way to China uh, when he was vice president. Very, very weird. I wonder if that ever came up in conversation. I'll be right back. fascination with January 6th and the exaggeration about what happened that day. I remember Election Day and the days and weeks ahead of time when they boarded up half the cities in America. Now, why did they do that? Did they do that in the case that Biden won? No, they did it because if Trump won, they knew there was going to be violence. It was accepted. It was almost seen as a righteous thing to do in the event of a Trump victory, that people would be out in the streets, lighting fires, hurting people, breaking things. I find that fascinating somehow, that everybody recognized that would happen. Now, when they declared Biden the winner, there wasn't violence. Remember that. Remember that. Now, regarding January 6th, everyone in the swamp is talking about Jeff Clark. Right, Jeff Clark. You ever heard of him? Kind of looks like William Rehnquist a little bit, actually. So he was an assistant attorney general for three years, and he was a close ally, they say, of Donald Trump. And he suspected election irregularities and was going through the law, trying to figure out if there was any way to uncover those irregularities. Perhaps something could be done with the Electoral Count Act of 1887. This is all legal. This is all in the Constitution. 
Um, <clears throat> and that's what the January 6th Select Committee wants, information from him. They're not asking questions about this, and this is what I want to know. Who's that short cop, and why was he or she waving people in? You tell me, who do you think the American people want to hear from more? That guy or the short cop? I want to know what the short cop was doing, waving people in. Uh, let's see. How about when the cops walked away just moments before Ashley Babbitt was shot and killed? See those guys? They're not being harmed in any way. Yes, it's a tense situation. Watch this. They're about to just walk off, and when they do, all these uh, protesters, whoever they actually are, they start going crazy and wailing on the door, and that's when Bird gets all nervous and takes out his gun and shoots Ashley Babbitt. Why do those cops walk away? Now, let's talk about this. Who do you think the American people want to hear from more? Uh, Jeff Smith or one of those cops who just walked away? I want to talk to that cop. How about all of the suicides? Capitol Hill police officers have killed themselves, a number of them, in the months after the January 6th attack. Now, this is weird. This is very strange. I want to know more. Too often, too easy to say that they died as a result of what happened on January 6th. I don't buy that, actually. I'd like to know a lot more. In the meantime, the FBI remains fixated on January 6th, and they proudly announced the arrest of a father and daughter. Take a look at this. A father and daughter are facing multiple charges in connection with the January 6th, 2021 riots. Uh, Megan Rutledge and her father, Willard Bostick, were charged with entering and remaining in a restricted building or grounds. According to the FBI, uh, there was, uh, let's see, images of the unlawful activity. On their Facebook page, take a look at it. Look at how unlawful that looks, huh? Anyway, the FBI remains uh, totally dedicated to January 6th. They have their uh, latest uh, people to prosecute. I don't know. I don't know. I see this and all of the accountability and the investigations. And uh, I think back to last summer. All of this stuff, <laughs> the FBI has totally forgotten about. Have, has there been accountability, really, for all of this? So many people were let go, not charged. I mean, whatever. This was, uh, this was all healthy. This was all peaceful protesting, huh? Even according to the top soldier in the military. And we should all be proud that the vast majority of protests have been peaceful. Remember that, huh? The vast majority. Wrong, wrong. All right. And now this. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. Black lives, of course, do matter, but not the way the Black Lives Matter movement says. They only care when a black life is taken by a white cop. All right. But black lives matter, including the life of 17 year old Jalen Sims shot last week in Canton, Mississippi. He was in his bedroom holding his two month old son when someone drove up to the house and fired several shots. According to Jalen's mom, the teen was trying to take cover when he was shot in the head. His mom believes uh, that she saw a dark colored vehicle driving up and down the street earlier in the day and believes that that vehicle casing the house, actually, people inside. Canton Police Chief says several shell casings for rifles were found at the scene. The community needs to work together to get guns off the streets. We did pick up some uh... Two, two, three. Them are rifle rounds that they use to shoot in these AR-15s. And uh, I don't know where these youngsters are 
whoever committed this crime, I don't know where they get these type of guns from, where they're buying them from, but I just, I plead that it would stop. Jalen Sims, just 17 years old. When we come back, a longtime member of the British Parliament stabbed to death while meeting with constituents. Uh, what happened here? He may have been killed by an Islamic terrorist. It's starting to look that way. We'll be joined by one of our favorites, Nigel Farage. Just to get back to the opinion polls, it's that absolutely is Sir David the Amos, a longtime so member of Parliament, and he was killed today at the age of 69, stabbed multiple times while meeting with constituents. Now, a suspect is in custody, uh, but this is a, a horror with potentially international implications. It happened, I believe, at a church in Essex. And um, uh, we bring in now Nigel Farage, the former Brexit Party leader. Nigel, we're so sorry uh, to hear this news. Did you know uh, Sir David Amos? And what can you tell us about the investigation? Oh, yes. I mean, Sir David had been a member of Parliament since 1983. He was one of the last of a handful of Thatcherite members of Parliament when the Conservative Party in this country really was Conservative. Uh, yeah, a very jolly, um, happy-go-lucky uh, guy, didn't look for big promotion in politics, was happy to represent his district. Um, so it's tragic, it's awful. But let's remember, this is now the second member of parliament being killed in the last six years. Um, another one was killed back during the time of the referendum. Uh, now, you know, he was a, a Catholic, a father of five, a very decent, respectable man. And let's just sort of for a moment, bow our heads and, and, and say how awful this is. The suspect is a 25-year-old from Somalia. That's what we know. How long he's been in the country, we don't know. Whether he entered the country legally, we don't yet know. If we're going to speculate for a brief moment, uh, Sir David was a great champion of animal rights. And one of his campaigns was against the methods of production of halal meat. Now, whether, Greg, there's a link there, I don't know. We'll find out over the course of the coming days. But what I fear here, what I fear is that through very lax open-door immigration policies, we've allowed people into our country who hate us. People who follow a radical Islamist belief that want to bring down Western civilization, Christianity, and everything we've ever stood for. I don't want to jump the gun on this. You know, we need, we need to get the facts, but the circumstantial evidence around this doesn't look good, and the implications of that are not just big for British politicians, they're big for politicians across the Western world. And of course, you know, if you're a member of parliament or a member of, you know, the House of Representatives, one of the important roles here is to meet the electors, to meet the people that vote for you. It's, it's, it's an essential part that creates trust in the process. And I have a feeling, I have a feeling that this death may change things. I have a feeling that politicians now will need security guards with them wherever they go. And it's sad uh, to say that, but I think it's realistic. The circumstances would indicate that this might have been um, a Islamic extremist. Um, there is that population in Somalia, to be sure. 
Could that be one of the reasons why I'm not hearing as much coverage about this now uh, as I was uh, basically before the suspect was announced? There seems to be not nearly as much talk about it here. At least in America, there is a thirst for the right-wing terrorists. Everybody wants to report on that, but when they come from the left, when they come from possibly the Islamic extremist uh, area, not so much interest from the mainstream media. Well, in 2016, a Labour MP who was a Remainer in the referendum was murdered by you know, an extreme right-wing neo-Nazi nutjob. Um, and that was all over the media within hours. And, of course, guess who was blamed for it all? Yours truly. Uh, when it comes to the other side of the argument, you're quite right. I mean, if it was the turnout, Greg, if it was the turnout that this person had entered the country illegally, um, the media will do all they can to cover this story up. But in the age of the Internet, they simply won't be able to. Let's see. Let's not go too far with this debate right now. I'm very happy to come back on on Monday uh, when we know more about this. But I, I just think the circumstances... Look, I tell you what, I'm not going to be wrong. All right? We know what this murder was about. We're clear what this murder was about. And we're clear the implications for everybody in public life, and that's not just the politicians, are very, very serious indeed. Just uh, two days earlier in Norway, you probably know about uh, a man newly converted, relatively newly converted to uh, Islam, went on a rampage with a bow and arrow. Uh, the coverage of that case, by the way, has been relatively muted. I just want to play a quick clip of, again, the media hysteria when it comes to anything right wing. And we condemn all terrorism, be it from the right and be it from the left. But they both have to be confronted honestly. And it seems like one side isn't. Take a look at this, please. Well, here in Germany, officials are warning of a rise in far-right extremism. FBI Director Christopher Wray warning that violent far-right extremism is the top domestic threat to the U.S. Far-right extremism in Britain is a growing problem. Members of the German government sound the alarm about far-right extremism. The fastest growing is now, according to our intelligence services, the threat of far-right terrorism. Far-right extremism is on the rise, not just in cities, but in the countryside. And again, we see all these examples of extremists, uh, Islamic extremist activity, and it, it, it's buried, it's uh, excused and explained away. Final thoughts, Nigel, I so appreciate you coming on, by the way. Thank you. No, look, my final thoughts are, you're quite right, Greg. Uh, there is a one-sided debate here. Far-right extremism is treated as being more serious than Islamist extremism. But here's the problem with that, with, with that argument. There are far more Islamist extremists that there are far-right nutjobs, far more, tens of thousands more in the West and millions more in other parts of the world. And I do not, and this is very important, most people, the majority of those that follow Islam are peaceful, decent, great human beings. But within that religion, there is an extreme wing, and it wants to destroy us. And what we've done is to welcome them in Welcome with open arms into our country without any thought. We in Europe, we in Britain are much further down the road than you in America. Please, Greg, take this as a warning. Be careful who you let into your country. Guard your borders carefully. And I'm sure that Biden doesn't understand any 
of those things. No, clearly he doesn't, but we appreciate your warning, and it's uh, so true. Nigel Farage, we appreciate you so much. Thank you to be continued, and we'll be right back. Some are saying this is going to be the, uh, the iconic image of the Biden administration, him just walking away from reporters, from his responsibilities, from the truth. You know, I've heard this before. If you get a bad guy in office, well, at least they'll be surrounded by great people. Uh, not so much. You've seen the empty shelves by now, right? We have a supply crisis, a supply chain crisis, and the Secretary of Transportation has been off for the past two months on paternity leave, paternity leave. Um, this is uh, this is really, really crazy. And uh, anyway, we wanted to bring in two of our favorites, Craig Shirley, presidential historian, Reagan biographer, and Mark Simone, iHeartRadio talk show host. Welcome to you both. Uh, Craig, first to you. You know what I mean? I've heard that before. Uh, yeah, the guy at the top may be terrible, but at least he'll have good people around him. The past several months have revealed the opposite. Do, yeah, it doesn't work that way, Greg. Uh, good men attract good people. Bad men attract bad people. LBJ was a thug and a bully. He attracted a staff that was a thug. There were thugs and bullies. JFK was intellectually curious. He attracted a staff that was intellectually curious. Ronald Reagan was supremely self-confident. He attracted a staff that was supremely self-accomplished and, and accomplished. So the, the, the man at the top tends to attract people like themselves. Joe Biden is is a screw-up, and he's attracted a staff that is uh, a bunch of screw-ups. Wow. Craig, uh, <laughs> I'm glad I asked. Mark Simone, what do you make of uh, Buttigieg taking the past two months off and anything else Craig just said? Typical Craig being too diplomatic about it. <laughs> this guy is the worst personnel director in history. They will be teaching this in business schools for years to come about how to mess up everything. Uh, Lloyd Austin, the most bumbling secretary of defense, Afghanistan. Kamala Harris, total disaster on the border. Uh, Buttigieg, missing in action. Uh, did you ever think you'd see Fauci be the most competent guy in the administration? You know, Buttigieg on paternity <laughs> leave. He's the only father when he gets the milk for his baby. His picture's on the carton. Where the heck is this guy? <laughs> uh, right, right, right. Hey, but let's remember this cabinet. It looks like America. I always hear that. It looks like America. I really don't care what it looks like. So, uh, go ahead. Wait, wait. Actually, before you do, Craig, I want to play this. I know why. I, let me just say, I know why Buttigieg is taking a uh, leave of absence. He's breastfeeding. All right now, Craig. Come on now, Craig. All right, we got this. Hey, let's point uh, out one thing. They haven't had a cabinet meeting in three months. July, early July was the last cabinet meeting. All right, well, let's talk about that. Do those cabinet meetings actually mean anything, Craig, generally speaking, or are they more ceremonial under any administration? Yeah, they're they're uh, pretty much for a show. Uh, all the power emanates from the White House these days. Cabinets haven't really had any relevance, any meeting for the last 50 years. They uh, sit at the top of their uh, various agencies and they direct them in a kind of a micro sort of way. But all the policy uh, and direction emanates from the White House. All right. So Joe is boasting today both how rich he is and how poor he was in a way that only Biden could. Very, very smarmy, in my opinion. Take a look. Look, I, I, I don't think you shouldn't be able to make a million or a billion dollars. I'm a capitalist. But guess what? I'm also listed for 36 years as the poorest man in the Congress. <laughs> but I make big money now. I'm a president. 
It's something very creepy. He's bragging about being poor, then boasting about being rich. Mark, you highlighted this on your show on, uh, on WOR a lot. He bought the DuPont Mansion in Delaware. And DuPont, that's the biggest family in Delaware, the biggest house in Delaware, back when he was allegedly the poorest guy in Congress. This is back in the 1970s. He buys this big mansion on a government salary. It, this is media collusion. Why aren't they asking him these questions? How did you afford that house? He's got, I think, three houses uh, now. You know, all those years, Hunter was raking in the millions and millions of dollars. We now find out they had a joint bank account. That's an old uh, Chinese scheme of uh, laundering money or spreading money around. Having a joint bank account, one guy puts it all in, another guy can spend it. This is awful. This is the worst corruption we've ever seen in a present. The brother's getting billion-dollar contracts, another brother's getting contracts. Hunter's running this art scheme, which is another old payola kind of scheme, and the media says nothing. It's, it's so wild. And you mentioned uh, you mentioned China. Yeah, well, let's not forget how much time Joe Biden was bragging, talking to President Xi, and Hunter made that crazy trip. I want to ask you guys briefly about January 6th. And when will we hear from Jeff Clark? Jeff Clark is the man of the hour. They want him to be the man of the hour. He's a former assistant attorney general. I have never heard of the guy, but this is the one they're looking for. The select committee wants to hear from him. I want to hear from the short cop who let everybody in. These are the kinds of people I want to know. That, remember, there are numerous officers who seem to be waving people in. Anyway, uh, tell us, Craig, uh, Jeff Clark, What's the significance? I, 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 it's, it's irrelevant, really. Really, what we need is a congressional committee to investigate all the cities that Antifa and Black Lives Matter burned down last summer. That's where we need to focus the attention, not on one afternoon where some people got out of hand, but what happened across this country and city after city after city by the organized left. Uh, apparently, Jeff Clark uh, was looking into the electoral count and what could be done legally. And there were brainstorming sessions, but there are far more practical things to look at. Mark Simone, final word. Uh, well, investigate what happened on January 6th. Every second is on videotape. Just run the tape. You can see what happened. FBI did a thorough investigation, said absolutely no coordination. Uh, Justice Department filed all 1,200 charges. No insurrection. The charges are things like uh, unlawful entry, trespassing. That's all it was. Nothing else. It's pretty wild. Pretty wild. But, uh, hey, we're having fun. we got to keep our spirits up, even though it's a depressing time out there. Uh, Craig Shirley, we appreciate it so much. And Mark Simone, to be continued, gentlemen, we'll be right back. Stand by for the Grand Stinchfield Show. We appreciate it so much. We'd appreciate it also if you told your friends about what we're doing here at Newsmax, especially at 7 Eastern. Thanks. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you Monday.